A year ago, this weekend, my family moved to Evansville. It's pretty cool. I had no idea a year from then we'd be here like this. So it's just exciting. Really sweet what God has done and what God's doing. Um, This morning, all kinds of warning coming at you right now. It's going to be a spicy morning. Um, We are committed to preaching through the Bible in order here as we go verse by verse, and we have come to a spicy passage, a passage that deals with adultery, that deals with sex and marriage. A lot of the language is PG-13, or actually in Hebrew, maybe a higher rating than that, okay? I, it's written to a sexually mature audi- audience, okay? So we're going to be as veiled as we can be, but we're also going to talk about it. We're not going to shy away from it. This is the kind of thing that people need to talk about, that the church needs to talk about. Okay, so if at any point uh, you've got a kid and you're uncomfortable with what they're hearing right there across the hall, I don't care how old they are, you're welcome to just throw them in there, okay? Um, (laughs) When I preached on uh, uh, relationships, dating, and sex in college, normally people knew because we'd like advertise or whatever, right? Um, There'd be the buzz in the room and the tension in the room. And one of my favorite things that would often happen is that uh, uh, the room would sort of auto-sort so you'd, you'd show up like on a normal uh, Tuesday night or Wednesday night to a large group and, you know, guys and girls are all sitting together. And then oh, now we're talking about relationships. Guys are over here. <laughs> girls are over there. They had no idea they even did it. And that was fun. So we're talking about adultery this morning. We're talking about lovemaking. We're talking about husbands and wives. I want you to know um, not everyone here is ready for what this passage has to say. I'm going to do my best to be careful, but I'm also going to keep it real. I'm not trying to be uh, uh, sensational, just trying to be faithful to the text of Scripture. Um, We live in a sexually debauched culture, and a culture that talks about sex and sexuality all the time, and talks about it wrongly. And while refusing to listen to anything that God has to say about it, and God's not silent. God's not silent, the Bible's not silent, so the church shouldn't be silent either. And neither should mothers and fathers. And this is a father talking, frankly, to his son about the dangers of adultery and the goodness of sex and marriage. God has a lot to say. He's not shy in how he says it. He's not embarrassed. He's not prudish. He's not bashful. God made it. God designed it. It's good. He wants us to enjoy it. And the best way to enjoy it is according to the rules. There's a lot of freedom within the rules, but there are rules, there are boundaries. And there are a lot of, there's a lot of destruction and pain and devastation that's caused when we step outside of those boundaries, outside of the order that God's created into the chaos of our own desires. The culture that we live in is playing a game it doesn't know the rules to or refuses to know the rules to. It's like picking up an instrument and trying to play it without knowing your skills. You can make sound, you can have a hard time making music. You may be able to make music, but it's not going to be beautiful. It's like playing a sport that you don't know any of the rules to, right? Like playing basketball, showing up to a basketball court, well, there's a goal, there's a ball, I don't know what to do. I guess the ball goes in the hole. But basketball, when played by people who understand the fundamentals and know the rules, is a beautiful game. And the better you are, the more beautiful it gets. The more you understand the rules and what you can do within the rules, the more awesome and fun and exciting it gets. I remember being in college and uh, uh, going to... There are two big gyms at IU. There's the Hyper and the SRSC, and you could go to either one. And there would be uh, uh, people there 
who all they knew of basketball was some like and one mixtapes, if y'all know what and one mixtapes are. Just like people doing crazy ball tricks and stuff like that. So you'd have these guys, right? And they could do all these crazy ball tricks and stuff. And then you, it, and I can't do any of that stuff. But you get into a game and they're useless because they don't even under, they don't understand the basic fundamentals. And a tall, slow white guy from Indiana who just happened to grow up in Indiana and understands the fundamentals can take him to school, right? It's like that. There's a whole lot of flash out there when it comes to sex. The fundamentals, the boundaries, the rules that God gives us, it's how you play the game and it's how you enjoy it. And it's when it becomes beautiful. God has a lot to say about sex. We're not allowed to be just polite Midwesterners about it. We have to go where God's word goes, where God's word takes us. So when I say this passage is PG-13, what do I mean? I mean that the language of this passage is actually very highly erotic. Hebrew is a very physical, earthy, metaphorical language. It's ripe for double entendre, double meanings, or triple meanings as the case may be. And the father who wrote this to his son uses that a lot in this passage, more than I had any idea of before I began to dig into it. I thought, okay, we got a couple of places here we're going to have to be careful about. And then I start reading the commentaries. Put that commentary away and I'll read another commentary. It's just like, no, you can't get away from this. This is just how it is. You can think (laughs) this way. This was written to teenage boys. If you approach this passage the way a teenage boy would, you're pretty right on. Uh, Here are some examples. I'm going to go through the examples and we're going to get a lot of the pain of it over with early. I'll try to be as discreet as I can and trust God to protect innocent ears, okay? When we talk about lips in this passage, we are talking about words. We're also talking about lips. And we're talking about different kinds of lips, both and, not either or. When we talk about honey, we're talking about sweet things that we want to taste. So when we talk about lips that drip with honey, we're talking about lips that speak enticing words. And we're also talking about lips that we want to kiss and more. When we talk about oil, we're talking about smooth things for where we want things to be smooth. And that's the, we're in the first half of verse three. Okay. Do you understand? In verse three, there's a word translated in our version as speech. Her speech is like oil. It goes down smooth the way she talks. The word for speech is palate, the roof of her mouth. That word's a homophone for a lap. Same, sounds the same. And that word comes later, translated as bosom. A double-edged sword, this isn't erotic, it's just important. A double-edged sword is actually literally a sword of many mouths. A house is sometimes a house. A house is also often a metaphor for your body. The Hebrew word for door actually means opening. Sometimes when we talk about the opening of a house, we're talking about the door of a house. And sometimes we're not. That word used there, when we get to it, is often used literally to simply refer to a part of the female anatomy over and over and over in Hebrew. When we talk about wells and cisterns, we're talking about cavernous places where you can find and drink pure, delightful, life-giving water for the pleasure and refreshment and enjoyment of everyone who possesses a well or a cistern often set in opposition to the barren, life-taking pits of the wicked, of the forbidden woman. Cisterns don't sound sexy, right? But in an arid, dry climate, a cistern that gathers and pulls together rainwater is life and refreshment in the midst of a dry and punishing desert that's full of pits of death. 
a well is something worth fighting and dying over. Those metaphors are used multiple places in the Bible. Speaking of, when we talk about springs and fountains that shoot forth life-giving water for the enjoyment of everybody who possesses them, we're talking about what we think we're talking about. Hebrew, like Greek, has different words for love. Y'all heard people talk about agape and phileo and eros. The words for love in this passage are more like eros, lovemaking. Okay, get the picture? It's intense. It's intense. I moved quickly, but I wanted you to understand where it's coming from, okay? God's not shy about these things. We shouldn't be either. Now we're going to read the passage. Chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. And now, O sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house lest you give your honor to others and your ears to the merciless, lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and body are consumed. And you say, how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. Drink water from your own cistern flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he's held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he's led astray. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you speak to things that are hard for us to hear and that we need to hear. Places where we have pain and shame and guilt and regret. And we thank you that you speak these things to young men and women before they have any of that pain and shame and guilt and regret so that they may walk in the way. Help us this morning to be faithful to your word and to learn what you would have us to learn. Help us to love the gift that you've given us in marriage. Be with me in my words. Help me uh, to not stumble in what I say. Help us to walk away convicted of sin in places we need to grow. Help us to be warned in places we need to be warned. Free us this morning to enjoy the things that we ought to enjoy through the blood and work of your son. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, start at the top. Remember, this is a book addressed from a king to his prince. As he comes of age, the king is instructing his son how to live rightly, right? He's trying to get him started off on the right path. King's telling his son about the biggest dangers he faces as a man who's trying to live right. That's what Proverbs is about. And so we've spent a lot of time in the first couple chapters of Proverbs talking about two big dangers that young men face, violence and sex. The two easiest ways to ruin your life. 
the two dumbest things that you could give yourself to. The easiest ways to be a fool and easiest in both senses. Easy, easiest way to be a fool because it's going to lead you to your ruin. Easy because it's so easy to fall into. This is, passage isn't about men versus women. This is just a father talking to his son. Son's on the path of wisdom. He's trying to live right. What's going to come and try to pull him off the path? If it was addressed to women who are trying to live right, it would say some of the same things, but different. Like it would warn about dudes who aren't your husband. So hear it that way as if it's talking to you too, okay? The Bible has a lot to say about sex, specifically to men, specifically to women. In other passages like Song of Solomon or Esther or Ruth, it has a lot to say to women directly. Maybe we'll study those eventually. I think we should, but this is where we're at today. So we all have to filter this passage through our own experience as we study a passage for godly inexperienced young men. Okay? So we're talking about one of the dumbest things a young man can do. One of the easiest ways he can wreck his life, which is be taken in by the forbidden woman. It's pretty vague about who she is, just forbidden. That's on purpose. She can be married. She can be unmarried. Point is, she's not your wife. It's also pretty vague about the status of the young man. Is he newly married? Is he soon to be married? It's kind of open. That's on purpose. So it's for all of us in that sense. Okay? All right. Verses 1 and 2. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding, that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. Over and over and over and over and over again. Listen, listen, listen to wisdom. Keep discretion. Your lips need to guard knowledge. Why? Well, because lips are a problem. The lips of a forbidden woman drip honey. Her speech, her palate is smoother than oil. She's making promises. They're sweet and smooth. They promise pleasure and satisfaction and thrills. Whether she's doing it for you on a computer or on a screen... Or in real life, she's enticing. She's full of promise. What is it that you want or that you think you want? What is it that you're not getting? Do you want to feel wanted? Do you want to feel desired? This is a woman who will make you feel that way. Do you want to feel respected? This is a woman who will make you feel that way. Who'll make you and your desires feel respected. She'll promise to meet your needs. The honey and the oil are real. They are sweet and they are smooth. But... Verse four, in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. The honey and the oil don't last. The honey turns to wormwood, bitter and poisonous. The oiled open mouth turns into a sort of many mouths devouring you. She's not what she says she is. And she's not there to give all that she says she is. She cannot deliver on her promises. You remember last week's passage, last week's sermon, Nathan stepped in. By the way, I texted Nathan at like 11 o'clock and said, pray for me. I am so wiped. And he said, how about instead of praying for you, I preach. So anyhow, last week's sermon, all of life given to wisdom, right? Your ear, your sight, your heart, your mouth, your eyes, your feet fixed on wisdom, right? That's the passage. All of you given, fixed, set on wisdom. If you fix your eyes on that woman, or that man, if you fix your ears on their lips, your heart on their words, your mouth on those lips, you're not going to see where her feet are taking you. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. 
She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander. She does not know it. Person who would come and seduce you is taking you somewhere. They don't know where they're going. They're going to death. They're leading you to hell. You're starting out with direction, right? You're starting out with purpose. You're on the path of wisdom. You're on the path of life. If you take your eyes off the path, if you do not keep to the path, if you fixate on something forbidden, you're going to follow the forbidden right off the path of life. They don't even know where they're going. They're living for the moment. All we have is now, this moment. How many stupid, terrible, godless love songs talk that way? All we have is now. All we have is the moment. We're living for the moment, baby. Like that kind of thing. We could just start doing the song quote thing and just like, we wouldn't have to stop, right? This ain't that. If you refuse to ponder the path of life and where you're headed, well, where you're headed is to ruin. That was the listen. Here's the lesson. Now, O sons, listen to me. Do not depart from the words of my mouth. Don't listen to her. Listen to me. Get your mind off her mouth. Remember the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her. And do not go near the door of her house. Don't go near. Don't put yourself in the way of temptation. Don't put yourself in a compromising situation. Don't put yourself in the way where you'll stumble. Stay away. Stay away. Whatever it is. If it's the internet and your phone, get rid of it. If it's the woman at work or the man at work that you sit next to, move. If you're the kind of person that finds his way to a bar alone, stop. Don't go near. Don't give yourself an opportunity to stumble because you're a sinner. You're weak. The father knows you're weak. He's not saying be strong. He's saying stay away, right? Wise men and women realize they're weak and they avoid places of temptation. That's the strength of wisdom. It's the strength to stay away. Whatever it is, wherever you're tempted to put yourself in the way of temptation, don't go there. I'm not going to start listing things. I've had a lot of people say a lot of things to me. I don't want to put things in your heads, but don't go there. Not one step. If you do, what will happen? This, lest you give your honor to others in your years to the merciless, lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and body are consumed. And you say, how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I'm at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. You came to take pleasure, but sex doesn't work that way. It's always an exchange. There's always a giving with the taking. You came to take. Be mindful of what you're made to give what you sacrifice. You take pleasure in a thrill, you give up your honor. You give up your dignity. You take pleasure, you give up years of your life. Time spent, that could have been spent building a house, a legacy, lost, gone, dissipated. You take pleasure for a moment, you give up your strength, your moral strength and courage, your physical strength. You take pleasure, you give away your labors. It'll all be taken away. You take pleasure, you give up your own body, the thing you live to please. And what are you left with? Shame and regret. That's what. Shame and regret. Everything worth living for is taken from you and you're alone. Those things, your honor, your strength, your labor, they're yours and your spouse's, yours and your wife's. When you keep them for your wife, they multiply and grow. When you give them away, they're gone. This passage isn't specific about how you lose those things. 
doesn't need to be. The principle is true. Their world didn't function like ours, but if I say words like alimony and child support and broken homes and broken relationships with your kids and hurt and jealousy and loneliness, venereal disease, public shame, all those things still work, right? That's still how it works. It always comes back around. It doesn't matter the culture. You're always giving. And you don't think about that in the moment. You don't think about sitting alone in in a cold, empty apartment on Christmas morning while your kids are with their mom or their dad. You don't think about the fact that your little girl is going to grow up to be vulnerable to all kinds of things. You don't think about anything but you in the moment, this moment now. And you do a pretty bad job about thinking about yourself because future you is going to hate you for what you've done when it's all taken away. Future you is going to hate you. It's what he says. He knows it. At the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and body are consumed and you say, how I hated discipline. My heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. They told me, everybody warned me. I said, I'm going to do me. Now I'm at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. I did this to me. I did this to me. Beware of having a heart that hates discipline and despises reproof. It will come back on you. Humble yourself before God, before this becomes the end of your life. Pray for help and strength. doesn't matter where you started. There's hope and forgiveness and healing for everybody who comes to Jesus. I know that in this room, there's already a lot of shame and regret. Not everybody in this room had a dad like this dad, who's willing to just look you in the eye as a young man and talk to you about these things and warn you. And even if you did, not many of you who did had the faith and the wisdom to listen and really keep wisdom. That shame and regret may make the next part of this passage feel painful for some of us in this room, difficult, challenging, because it's written to young people before they've gone out and messed it all up, because it's about the uninhibited freedom and beauty and pleasure of the marriage bed. And that's hard to have unless you have it. All right, let's read it. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone, not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe, let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. It's a passage about enjoying lovemaking and it's good. Lovemaking in and of itself is good. It's about enjoying each other. It's about pleasure. Husbands, notice where we start. We start at the well, the cistern, not the fountain. This is a dad talking to his son. It's not a manual, but a word to the wise is sufficient. With the forbidden woman, we're focused on taking, on what we can get. But lovemaking is a dance. And here we're giving. We're delighting ourselves in our wives. You, husbands, are to enjoy your wife, all of her. And wives, you're to enjoy your husbands and to be jealous for each other. Refuse to give anything you have to anyone else. Keep it for yourself and your spouse. Be jealous for it. Keep yourself only unto each other as long as you both shall live. You're one. Why should your springs be scattered abroad? Let them be for yourself alone. Let your fountain be blessed. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. Here's another one that's better in the Hebrew. A lot of thirst in this passage as a metaphor. Drench yourself in the delight of her breasts. Drink. Take your fill. You're thirsty. Take your fill. 
get drunk on love. Leave behind your inhibitions. Go to the well, go to the fountain. Enjoy one another with all the freedom of a man and woman, one naked and unashamed. You're having problems, temptations. If you're not married, get married. Enjoy it. You're married, give yourselves to enjoying each other. Make time to enjoy each other. Be generous with each other. You need each other. Especially in a difficult world where bad sex is thrown in your face all the time. You need to be free with each other and free to enjoy each other. It's how you protect each other. It's how you love each other. That's the simple, straightforward application. If you're wounded and hurt, full of shame and regret, look, I know it's not easy. I'm not trying to say it is. It's not easy to enjoy things that you have deeply associated with guilt and shame and regret. It's not easy to be free. Not many people, like I said, have mom and dads that talk to them about this stuff as godly, mature, loving mothers and fathers. And some of you were actively harmed. Some of you were abused, didn't have anything to do with you. And you bear those scars and that makes it hard. Many of you have trust issues in your marriage that you still need to work through. Part of the reason we turn to the forbidden woman or the forbidden man is because we get the validation and the payoff without the difficulty of working through some of those things, working through them into freedom. These are principles, God's principles. If your marriage doesn't know this freedom, don't go home and demand it, okay? There's a reason why it doesn't know this freedom. Those reasons have to be addressed. It's not Jake says, it's not God says. If you need help, I'm happy to talk to you. Some of you have worked through some things, maybe made arbitrary lines about how much you're willing to work through and how far you're willing to go. I've gone far enough, thank you. I've worked through enough, thank you. You stop short of this uninhibited, unbridled joy and pleasure and freedom that we're talking about here. There's a reason he uses intoxicated. If that's you, don't be angry that we're talking about it. Hating discipline and despising reproof don't end well. Now, this is the place where if this were a marriage class, we'd stop and we'd really talk about things, but this isn't that, okay? So let's wrap it up. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he's held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he's led astray. God sees and God knows. There's nothing he can hide, The dark is not dark to him. What you do in the dark doesn't stay in the dark. He sees and knows the adultery you've committed. He sees and knows the adultery in your heart. And he wants you to be free from the cords of sin. You can have freedom from your guilt, from your shame. You can have the years that the locusts have eaten restored. There can be redemption. What has been lost can be redeemed. You can find joy in your husband or your wife you can learn to delight yourselves continually in each other. If you need help talking through this stuff, that's what we're here for. That's what we're here for. I don't pretend to have all the answers, but I'm willing to sit down and talk with you. Proverbs and parenting. Hey, mom and dad, wake up. Talk to your kids. Everybody else is. Talk to them in age-appropriate ways, but talk to them directly. Be real. Give them what you didn't get. Make sure they start on the path of life and wisdom and give them everything they need to stay on it. It is hard. It's hard. And they need you. They need you to be real. 
You can't afford to be bashful or ashamed or embarrassed. They can't afford for you to be bashful or ashamed or embarrassed. Culture is not and God's not. Be like your heavenly father. Be willing to go where he goes. All right, let's pray. Father, we do thank you that you, in your word, address all of life, even where it's difficult, and especially where it's difficult, especially where it's hard. Help us, Father, to love your word for what it is, to embrace it and to embrace all of it, and to obey its teaching. Help us to repent of sin and coldness. Help us to grow out from shame and into freedom. In Jesus' name, amen.